Hello and welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast, the show that empowers you to wake up to your full potential and achieve your biggest goals and dreams. I am your host, Hal Elrod, and I invite you to join us each week as we share actionable strategies to take your life to the next level, as well as interview world-class experts and entrepreneurs who have achieved extraordinary goals themselves, and we ask them to give you a peek behind the curtain and teach you exactly what you need to do to do the same. Ready? Here we go. Goal Achievers. Hey, what's going on? This is Hal Elrod. And I wanted to let you know that today's episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast is brought to you by the Best Year Ever Blueprint Live Experience. And in case you're not in the know, if you haven't been to the experience before, Best Year Ever Blueprint is our once a year, it's our annual event, goes on in December in San Diego, California. And you know, I always struggle to explain what makes it so unique, so different, than every other event out there because it really is different than any event that you've likely ever been to and any event that I've ever been to. And I thought of a distinction today that I thought I would share with you. If you're a fan of The Miracle Morning, right? If you've read the book, if you practice the savers, you know that The Miracle Morning isn't about things outside of you, right? It's not about you know strategies outside of you or it's not thing outside of you. It's about how do you wake up every day and optimize your physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual capacities so that you can bring a better version of yourself to your work, to your family, to all of your relationships, right? And that you can become the level 10 person that you need to be to create the success that you want in every area of your life. And what I realized is that that's what the best year ever blueprint does in real time and in a very short amount of time, in two to three days. The main event is two days, December 8th and 9th, 2018. The Entrepreneur Day, which is an optional day that you can you know, upgrade to if you're interested in that, if you're an entrepreneur or an upcoming entrepreneur, that is on December 7th, on Friday, before the main event. But either way, what the event is designed to do, it's unlike other events where, you know, most events you go there and you just listen to a bunch of speakers and you learn a bunch of stuff that you could get for free, frankly, on Google. You take a bunch of notes, right? Whereas the Best Year Ever Blueprint is this highly immersive experiential event where you're actually experiencing the best version of yourself real time. It's a scientifically designed process led by my partner in crime, John Berghoff, who's one of the best experiential trainers in the world. He does this for companies like NASA, Facebook, and more. And I'm lucky that we're best friends because I got him to come in the very first year and year after year after year, the event keeps getting better and better and better. And most of our attendees are returning attendees from the year before. So Anyway, I don't want to go into too much detail. Just you can check out the website, bestyeareverlive.com. That is bestyeareverlive.com. Get all the details. See if the dates work for you, December 7th through 9th. And it's in San Diego. And I'll tell you why from the very first year, because this is a best year ever blueprint where you're going to walk away, not only a better version of who you were when you showed up at the event, kind of like the Miracle Morning makes you a better version of who you were when you went to bed the night before but you're going to leave the event with your blueprint, right? With the strategy, the tactics, the accountability, the process, the schedule to ensure that the next 12 months following the event are the best 12 months of your life. And I knew that the timing of the event needed to be at the end of the year, beginning of a new year. And guess what? It's cold everywhere in the United States, right? The weather is very unpredictable except San Diego. So as a side note, that's why we hold the event in sunny San Diego. It is at the beautiful... Manchester Grand Hyatt. I think it's the most beautiful hotel in San Diego. You walk out of the conference room and it overlooks the bay. The entire walls are 40 foot tall, glass walls, 100 feet wide. It's incredible. 
Anyway, I'm going into too much logistics. Check out bestyoureverlive.com and uh, I hope you can join us for what is sure to be another life-changing weekend. And now I'm excited to introduce you to my friend, my mentor, Mr. Jesse Levine in today's episode, a conversation that for me was special. This is the person that changed my life arguably more than anyone else and uh, you're in for a treat. Goal achievers, what's going on? This is Hal Elrod. You're in for a treat today and I'm in for a treat because I, I brought one of my old friends on this podcast. Not really even just an old friend, an old mentor, someone who started as a mentor, then became a great friend and was even uh, one of the groomsmen in my wedding. So that's how close of friends we've become. But the topic today, if there's a topic, is really how to bring out the best in those that you lead and those that you love. And sometimes those are the same people. You know, hopefully you love the people that you lead, maybe at work or, uh, you know, as a CEO or in a business or as a teacher, as an entrepreneur, those that you lead. I hope you love them. I love all those that I lead, but then you might separate them. Well, there's those that I lead. There's my professional life. And then there's my personal life. Those are people that I love. So today I really want to talk about how do you bring out the best in those that you lead professionally and also those that you love personally. And like I said, if they're one and the same, awesome. If not, that's okay too. And the reason for this being the topic is when I'm asked by people, you know, who do you attribute your mindset to or your success to, Hal? If I'm asked that in an interview or in any setting, even just a, you know, at a cocktail party, I always say, you know, it's half mom and dad and it's half Jesse Levine. And that's who you guys are going to meet today. It's half Jesse Levine and half my parents. And Jesse was my manager at Cutco. And I actually had a buddy of mine. We were going to college. Here's the quick backstory. I was going to college. And uh, living temporarily with a friend, Teddy Watson. And Teddy would always say, Hal, dude, I could get you a job selling Cutco. You'd be great at it. You're a natural. You're personable, blah, blah, blah. And I would always reject that notion and say, Teddy, dude, I am not a salesperson. Thanks, but no thanks. Like I have zero interest in selling high quality kitchen cutlery via in-home presentation. Not going to happen. And one day I was with Teddy when he had to stop by the Cutco office and I think this was orchestrated. Like My assumption is that Teddy had this master plan in having me with him. But we went inside the office and uh, he said, Hal, hey, go meet... You know, That's Jesse, who I've been telling you about. Go meet Jesse. And I started talking to Jesse. And I said, so what's this whole Cutco thing about? Like, Teddy's always telling me I should sell these knives. And I just, I'm like, I don't, I'm not a salesperson. Tell me about it. And Jesse's description of the opportunity of direct selling and how you could create your own income. There was no ceiling on your income. You could really, as hard as you wanted to work or as creative and as your ability improved as a salesperson, your skills, your technique, your understanding of the human psychology and how to interact with a prospect to where they were compelled to A, trust you and B, purchase your product, right? The way that Jesse explained the opportunity and how I could develop these skills that would serve me the rest of my life it was really intriguing and it made me realize that Teddy had not done as nearly as good of a job in selling me on this opportunity. And so after talking to Jesse, I thought, you know what? I, maybe I'll give it a try. So how do I get started? And he said, Oh, I've got, there's a three day training this weekend. You know, it's a 9 a.m. to 6 a.m. I think it was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And he said, I can, you know, I'll, you know, Teddy gives you a high recommendation. I'd, I'd hire you right now. And I said, Oh, I can't do that. I'm sorry. I'm DJing from midnight. I just started DJing on the radio. I'm DJing midnight to 6 a.m. And, uh, I said, so there, you know, there's no way I can DJ midnight to six, about an hour away. And then I'd literally have to forego my sleep and drive here and go through training and then maybe sleep a few hours and then DJ midnight to six. You know, I don't, it's just not, that's not possible. And Jesse is 
you'll probably get this sense. He's a very convincing human being. And <laughs> I, don't, I don't even remember what he said, but he somehow convinced me to forego my sleep and that the smarter option was not to delay starting my new career in selling and just to do it that weekend. And so I DJed midnight to 6 a.m., drove to the Cutco office, went to training from 9 a.m. to 5 or 6 p.m., slept for a few hours. I did that for the entire weekend and then ended up quitting the, the radio DJ job as the sales position proved to be a lot more fruitful, at least financially and in terms of experience, in terms of fun. And I want to bring Jesse on, so I'll, I'll stop hogging the mic here. Uh, but I just want to say just a couple more things about this, which is I went up to Jesse after my first day of training and I said, Jesse, you talk about the sales record, the most ever sold in the first 10 days by anybody in your office. And then there's the division record, which is you know higher sales total. There's the region record and then there's the national record. And I said, you know, I want to break one of these records. And he said, Hal, you know, I'll be honest. I, I hear that. And by the way, when I told him this, I thought he was going to jump out of his seat and go, Oh my gosh. And like hug me and jump up and down. And I really admired him. I just, I had gotten to know him and, you know, admiring him through my first day or two of training. And I thought he was going to be excited. And he said, Hal, I hear that all the time, but nobody takes it seriously. Nobody's willing to put forth the effort. If you're willing to work harder than you've ever worked before in your life and be committed for the next 10 days at a level you've never been committed to anything. He said, I believe that you can do it. I can help you do it. I can coach you to do it. But he said, you've got to be committed. And I, I was excited, not necessarily committed. But at that point, you know, Jesse, I, I really respected him. I admired him. I didn't want to let him down. I was talking real big and I thought, okay, I'll, I'll commit. And I wanted to give up on the second day when I had made no sales or my first day out in the, in the field. And I called Jesse to quit and he wouldn't let me quit. And long story short, I broke the record and I broke the record because of Jesse. If it wasn't for Jesse's accountability every day, making sure that I was making my calls, setting my appointments, checking in with him and being accountable, I would have never come close. If it wasn't for Jesse's inspiration when I felt like giving up, when I was facing self-doubt, I would have given up on myself, you know, time and time and time and time again. And because of Jesse, my entire career throughout Cutco I fulfilled my potential only because of, you know, Jesse, I know you're coming on here in a sec, your leadership though. So all right, I'll stop myself. And uh, Jesse, man, I I would love to just, you and I just to reminisce about some old Cutco stories and uh, go from there, man. How you doing? I'm doing good, Al. Now, did I get the talking a lot thing? Is that from you? Did I get that from you or is that from somebody else? I'm pretty sure you talked a lot before I met (laughs) you were on a... You were a DJ host, right? That's true. Yeah, that's true. You're right. All right. I guess I was a talker, man. So, uh, dude, where are you at right now? You're at home in Sonoma? Yep. Set in my office, home office. Home office. And uh, before we get into Cutco stories, just to kind of catch people up. So I left Cutco. My last year was 2005. When was your last year? Oh, boy. Six years ago? Seven years ago? So 2011-ish? 12? 11, maybe? Yeah, boy. I, 11, 12, something like that. Yeah. What have you done since then? You know, you're a serial entrepreneur. Every time we talk, it's, you know, hey, here's the new venture and here's the thing, you know, I'm, I'm adding this stream of income and I'm doing this and that. And, but uh, what have you done since then? And what have been the standouts? What's been your favorite? What are you up to now? Well, yeah, it's so funny. I mean, I've literally since then, I mean, the first couple of years was just trying a lot of things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Trying a lot of things, um, focused mostly on trying to get into technology, understanding when you're building apps or, uh, understanding marketing, um, started uh, you know a content and a paid marketing agency with a partner. Did that for a number of clients. Um, actually, had a, a bit of success. 
uh, but you know, you're working for other people and, uh, I have a hard time working for other people. <laughs> I know that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I mean, I'd rather starve to be honest. And, you know, uh, you know, somebody just told me it's like an entrepreneur is the guy that actually, instead of working 40 hours a week, works 80 hours a week and gets paid less, you know, than the person who's working 40 hours a week. That's typical, right? For a lot of entrepreneurs, though, the, they, sure. just to be able to be the boss. And yeah, so I've, you know, I've, I've dipped my, uh, my fingers, so to speak, into a lot of things. And, uh, you know, a, a few years ago, I think five years ago, started recruiting. And uh, initially, I was working for somebody, mm-hmm. and then created my own company, and hired people on my team, and then started looking for my own clients and currently still have a staffing company right now. You're recruiting for tech companies, right? Early stage companies that are typically anywhere from like seed investment, maybe a few million dollars of investment up to, you know, uh, typically try not to work with public companies, but typically, you know, series B, C, sometimes a later stage D company. I like the early stage when there's, you know, somewhere between five and 50. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, once it gets beyond that, um, it's, you know, it becomes a little bit more um, structure and, but, uh, it's definitely fun offs, obviously to work with the company as they gain steam and then eventually get purchased. I've worked with a number of companies that have, you know, had less than 10 people. When I first started working with them, they're an incubator or just came out and, you know, just got a round of funding and then are looking to grow their sales or their marketing or their engineering team. And it's fun to get in their early stage and kind of help companies based on performance, uh, deliver, a big part of their critical, you know, early stage team. And some of those people that walk out there that, you know, those companies get sold for hundreds of millions of dollars later. And uh, some of the people that get in early get enough equity where, you know, they're actually making, you know, million or millions of dollars, depending on how early they get in. And so um, it's fun to work with companies where the, the companies actually value their employees enough to give them an equity component. Nice. Kind of wh- where the tech world is going. And I think a lot of other companies like even Crave Jerky that sold their Sonoma-based brand, you know, they built it like a tech company. As people get involved early stage, they give them, you know, shares that incentivizes them to, you know, really work hard and grow with the company. And as they see the company start to grow, they see their value of their equity start to grow, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do these companies value their recruiters enough to share any equity with you or is that going too far? Yeah, (laughs) you know, and that's actually, you know, some companies, you know, some recruiting firms, you know, take a a piece of equity, um, you know, and I've done that, you know, in small cases with smaller startups. And it's not, it's actually kind of a, it's a big thing to give up, to give up a a fee on recruiting. Sure, (laughs) sure. Uh, But also to get on a cap table, you, you typically need to have, Depending on where that you know you know where where they are, if they're Series A or Series B, it's much harder to get on their cap. But if you're like in a seed investment and you're early on, I typically like to take companies that are a little bit farther along uh, because um, I know I'm going to get paid, right? Yeah, yeah. And I know they have money to be able to pay, and they're all about hurry, right? The reason they're paying for the smart companies pay for you know somebody to go in there and strategically find other people that are already doing the job that you don't have to reinvent the wheel so sure, it's a much sure. quicker way to build a company take people that actually really have the skill set and are doing it for your main competitor or somebody that has a lot of another company that has a lot of insight into maybe how to improve this company that they'd be moving to so i mean it's it's a quick way to build a company if you're you know strategically picking talent and giving them a you know an equity stake in your company gotcha and i know you're just you're all about tech you know ever since you left direct sales, you know, very, very 
few conversations we've had didn't revolve around something that you were up to or interested in or pursuing technology-wise. And I know the latest thing is you just launched an app called PrimoCast. I'm going to pause on that for later because I want to spend more time on it. But it's a podcasting app. It's been called arguably the best podcasting app that's ever been launched. So we'll talk more about that. Uh, I want the listeners to be able to understand how it works. But to start the episode today, the topic, how to bring out the best in those you lead and those you love. And for the listeners, I want to just share a couple things. When I met Jesse, so I was 19, he was 23. And the year I met him, he was trying to do something in the Cutco company that had never been done before, which is the first ever manager to do a million dollars in sales in one year. I mean, there are managers at that time that had been seasoned for five, seven, 10, you know, even longer years that were 10, 15 years older, 20 years older than Jesse. And Jesse comes in kind of like the NBA rookie of the year, right? Just comes out of nowhere. And then here's what was crazy is, and nobody believed like, no, no, you can't. it was kind of like the four minute mile. Like nobody can do a million dollars in a year. We've tried it. It just, you know, maybe someday, but not this 23 year old kid, Jesse Levine. And we ended up doing $1,017,000 that year and we broke the record. And here's what's crazy. So Jesse kind of cemented his legacy as like, you know, the first person to ever do this. Since then, just like the four minute mile, people came after him and seasoned managers learned from him and then go, okay, I can do a million. And then they did. They did one, 1.2, one, even 1.5, I think was done by uh, Dan Cassetta, another friend of ours. And Jesse comes out of nowhere and says, Hal, hey, I want to be the first $2 million office. And that was beyond, I'm like, that's not even like, Jesse, you're, you're a big thinker. I appreciate that. But you're talking out like, that's not even possible. Like the record right now is 1.5. And that's a stretch to do 2 million just out of the gate. There's no way. And we actually moved to Sacramento together. And anyway, long story short, we did over $2 million that year. And uh, Jesse became the first ever million dollar manager, which cemented the legacy. And then the first ever $2 million manager. And what Jesse was great at was bringing out the best in others. And so that Jesse, so that's what I want to talk to you about, man. What is it that, uh, and you can use me as the example if you want as the guinea pig, but what do you feel like your keys were, especially at you know, 23 and then when you did it again for the first $2 million office? How old were you when you did $2 million? Uh, That was in 2004. 30-ish? Yeah, 30-ish. Yeah, I was born in 1974. Okay, yeah, so about 30, right. So yeah, so both you know, either year, either example or what you've learned since, what are your keys? What does it take if someone's leading, you know, whether it's a sales organization, again, or even if they're a teacher with students, or anywhere in between, we're all leading somebody. We're leading, you know, for me, I, I feel like my kids are the most important people that I lead. But what are your keys? How do you bring out the best in another person? And you did it with so many people and so consistently. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And um, I only ask great questions. <laughs> I think there's a lot of answers to that. But, you know, part of it is, you know, it's all about, how, you know, when you're building a company, right? Or you're building something where it's not just your results, but it's, accumulation of all the people that are part of this, whatever it is, whether you're building a ship for Burning Man or you're building, you know, a ship to Mars <laughs> or you're building a, yeah. the first $2 million office or you're building a million dollar book or whatever it is, right? I mean, it, it all starts with kind of the people around you that you build your team, whether it's your editor for your books or your co-writer or your whatever, right? And, yeah. and so, you know, it's really about getting talented people to buy into your vision. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, that's the, you know, you and you've got to see that before they see it. And if, if you have the ability to kind of see something, but true, you know, there's always going to be the question mark, is it really possible, especially when it hasn't been done? And there's going to be a million, you know, a million times that you lose that confidence, right? Where there's things that happen, but yeah. deep down, you got to really believe that if, if you put it all together and you work 
you know, I think you have a new book coming out, which basically sums it up, which yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to read. But um, the idea that, you know, it's all about the people on your team, they're the ones that are going to get results. So you really got to pick, you know, super talented people and then have a big a vision that's, you know, big enough where they their vision can buy into, you know, can be part of your vision. So where there's a sonat, you know, where it's where where their objectives are a reflection of of part of your bigger goal. And, you know, and them buying into the fact that without their effort and without them being part of this, that uh that your goal is not possible. And not only that, that the team goal is not possible. And if you really believe that people perform better in high performing teams, which I do, like if you're part of a great sports team, that that has a great culture, you're likely to step up your game and be part of something much more interesting. And, you know, if I'm going to play sports, I freaking want to win, right? I want to win. I don't want to be the last place guy. I don't want to be the middle place guy. I don't want to be the second place guy. I want to freaking stand up on the, the podium and say, okay, I built the best team. And I want my people to feel that they're part of the best team. I'm embarrassed if I show up and my team's not number one. Yeah. Because that means my people are not one, number one. And that's a reflection of me. And so I guess it starts with high standards with myself of what I think I'm capable of doing. When I was in sales, I always thought I should be at the top of the stage. And I knew it was always effort and strategy that got me on top of the stage. Yeah. And I think that's the, you know, and if I, I can, if I can do it myself, then I can teach it to other people. But you got to have willing people and you got to have capable people. And so you've got to have a, you know, a belief of where you're going. You have to get really good people on board. And then you've got to be willing to, you know, put in the effort because, you know, it's not an overnight, you know, people that become successful. It's not one conversation you have. It's a multitude of conversations that gets people to see the big picture and to see themselves doing something. And, you know, I, I always say that if, if somebody doesn't have a vision of themselves, you know, somebody doesn't have a vision for where they're going, they're going to jump on somebody else's vision. And, you know, I'm, I'm willing to bet that 98% of people out there don't have a clear vision. They have an idea of where they want to go, but it's not something that's so exciting, that's so compelling that people will give up what they're doing uh, to follow it. And so, you know, you've got to, as a, as a a leader or as a mentor, you've got to have what's going on in your life. So exciting that people are going to want to jump on that train. And so clarity starts with, you know, people getting their own goals straight. And then if their own goals are straight, then those goals can be parts of other people's goals. I love this, man. This is gold. So in terms of having a vision that people buy into, and also you talked about, so here's, I've kind of broken this into three things, vision, talent, and high standards. Right. So that you've got a big, exciting vision that you're able to get talented people to buy into your vision. And then that you hold high standards for yourself and for other people. And that creates that high performing team that, like you said, it brings everybody up. Do you think though that part of getting talented people to buy into your vision is being willing on your own in the comfort of your own home, you know, or or your office to be willing to create a vision out of thin air? that is big and compelling and exciting? Is that what attracts those talented people to you? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, creating a big and compelling vision gets other people excited. But it's when they have ownership that they are responsible for that, Hmm. that when it actually happens, that that's theirs as well. Yeah. So it's our vision. You know, you might have given birth to the vision, but now it's become ours. We're raising it together. 
yeah, I might get to hold the trophy at the end of the day, right? And put yeah. it in my house. But all the people that are part of that team will never forget what it takes to be number one. Yeah. They'll never forget the difference, the edge that you have when you think and you do what it takes to be number one. When you're able to out strategize, I'm telling you, all these people that were th- part of our organizations through the time yeah. that saw number one results, they saw like the how it happens, right? It, that it starts with belief and then it starts with strategy, right? And then yeah. you handle all the, you know, the challenges along the way and you never give up till the very end, right? Yeah. And it's amazing what we got done in the last 24 to 48 hours, right? We would do as much sales in the last 24 to 48 hours as we would do in the previous 10 days. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So when I'm asked or when I talk about like, you know, when I, if I go speak at a Cutco conference or just in general, and I talk about when I broke the fast art record, I always say that the two things, the two attributes that I employed to break that record are two attributes that are universal that we all have available to us at all times. And I think these are the two attributes that I can really point to you. I can say that to me, these are what you embodied that allowed you to lead. The attributes are enthusiasm and work ethic, right? That we all have, you know, we can all get as enthusiastic as we choose to about anything that we want. And that enthusiasm, I feel like is attractive, right? It's contagious. You always used to say enthusiasm is contagious. And then the work ethic, of course, you've got to outwork your competition. And I feel like you brought that, you know, you had that vision. And I want to ask you in a second about where that vision came from. But you brought that vision to, you know, when you would speak at a team meeting, right, at our weekly sales meeting, you were fired. Like you were, and you were funny too. You were always just kind of crazy. And like you'd come with funny, I don't even know, like, you know, you're just, you're funny, but your enthusiasm just oozed out of your pores. And we were like, this guy's freaking all, he's so fired up, you know, and, and your vision was big, but the way you communicated that vision was such genuine, unbridled enthusiasm that you couldn't help but to be in your presence, but to get excited. And then of course, behind the scenes, right, you were working your butt off, you were talking every rep every day, you were recruiting, you were doing all the things that you had to do. But here's what I want to know, though. Do you remember the moment or the conversation when you decided that you wanted to be at 23 years old, the first manager in the 50 year history of the company to do a million dollars in one office in one year? Do you remember like what planted that seed that you could be the guy to do that? You know, it's, it's probably a lot of things, but you know, just starting in the business and watching, um, just looking at the top of the bar yeah, and thinking, okay, what's different between me and them? Yeah. And at the beginning, it's experience, it's talent. They've got more money. They've been, you know what I mean? They've yeah. already got yeah. records. You know, so many people in this world just follow the playbook that's laid out for them, right? They have expectations yeah. to do certain things in school. They have expectations to go to a certain college. They either do or they don't do that. So they're either already starting out a, a life with regret or, you know, fear that they're not going to be successful because they didn't get in the college they want or get the grades they want. You know, it's just we, we are programmed that these are the ways that successful people live. And most people, you know, it doesn't play out for them like that. So they're, they're already in a kind of a fear based and, you know, going into the real world, trying to compete and succeed and pay for yourself is a hard thing to do. And, um, you know, I don't know where, you know, the belief that I could go and do a million dollar office was, but I think it started when I was a rep, when I first started with Cutco and I didn't have a bunch of, I was so embarrassed about selling knives when I was, 18, right? <laughs> yeah. 
And then I, I, you know, I'd just gotten back from Europe and I, you know, I should have been in college. Yeah. Right. And that I, you know, I didn't want to go try to sell to anybody I knew. Right. Cause I didn't, I didn't want the feedback that I should be, you know, you should be in college. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I was on my way to advanced training instead of like, <laughs> you know, I'd done one demo on somebody's bed, like, you know, cause they were sick and I didn't sell anything. You know, and so I'm like, you know, and I did a demo for my mom and she didn't buy anything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so I just stopped off like at a, you know, an old person's home on my scooter, like a, a community Oakmont. And I started knocking on doors and freaking somebody let me in. And this woman bought, let me in and she bought a galley plus six. Nice, <laughs> and it was nice. like, you know, it was like, and it was, it was a homemaker builder actually. It was such a weird thing. You know, it was like, <laughs> you know, no, but it, it was that's like, like a, for anybody listening, that's like a four or $500 set of knives just to give you some context. Yeah. you my first sale. And I walked into training with this set, you know, to a, somebody had, you know, <laughs> and I don't know where I got the confidence, but I guess over in Europe, I'd done hair wraps, right? I'd, I'd done braiding, like done hair wraps in people's hair, like in, in, in not like braiding, but like these strings to survive over there. Right. Yeah, so that's how you're making money in Europe. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, I guess I had a little bit of confidence to meet strangers. Right. Yeah. And, um, and I wasn't afraid to, to get rejected and, you know, and I made it, you know, it's like, you know, the beginner's luck when you try something new, right. The, you know, there, it's, there to the alchemist, right? That in the beginning, you know, you'll see success and uh, to kind of give you some confidence. And so I saw a little success there, right? And then, you know, I had a, a good, a decent fast start. And then, you know, I had the confidence that I should run my own office. And we, we ran a top 10 office when I was 18, right? I went out to Red Bluff. So these little things, and as much as I actually failed a lot that summer, I totally failed, but I also... Yeah you know, you, you kind of grow up and then, you know, these, you know, luckily these things happen to you, but, uh, at the same time, you know, you put yourself in a situation to fail. And I guess I put myself in a lot of situations where I didn't know what the hell was going to happen, but I wanted something to happen. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I figured I would be up to the challenge or at least the challenge would, would put me in a situation where maybe I would be a different person after. Yeah. I think another intangible too, is I think that you're just a lover of people and that that comes across in your face when you meet them, right? Like, you know, people like my mom and dad love you, you know, like you're my other brother or whatever. And, but they just, you know, I think my mom has said, you know, Jesse, you've heard this before. Many people say, you know, Jesse smiles with his whole face, right? Like when you meet somebody for the first time, you're like, Hey, and they're like, Oh shit, this guy's really into me. <laughs> he's really, he's really friendly, you know, but I think it's this genuine, authentic care for people. And I think that's an important part too is, feeling like, you know, you weren't just in it. So you, so I'd make a sale to make you a buck. It was like, you genuinely cared about every person I felt like that you worked with and that walked through your door and that you trained, you know, I think that was another important piece. And now here's what I want to ask you, because I think this is one of the biggest keys to bringing out the best in another person. I think it's a fundamental key. One of the first things you've got to do, and that is to see people as better than they are. You know, I think that goes without saying that the only way to bring out the best in someone, meaning bring out something better than they've shown or, you know, lived by before is to see them as better than they are. And I want to know if you had any thoughts or tips or stories or anything on that is how do you, you know, when you're looking at somebody rather than go, man, you're this, you're that, you haven't proven anything extraordinary. Like I was the best example. I was very mediocre my whole life. I didn't get good grades. I didn't excel in sports. I didn't even play any school sports, right? Wasn't super popular, like nothing. I had not shown any evidence of being an achiever. And you literally pulled that out of me from being, you know, class clown and screw up 
to being an achiever. Like you pulled that out of me. So how do you see someone as better than they've ever been before? And or, you know, how do you communicate that to them? How do you get them to see themselves as better than they are? And by the way, the last thing I'll say on this before you answer the question, I just wrote about you in my new book, The Miracle Equation. And I talked about that, how I was insecure, fear, self-doubt, all of the above. And you believed in me and you saw things in me, or at least you you made me think you did, right? But you saw things in me. You saw me as better than I'd ever been. And I didn't believe it at first, but I was like, well, shoot, this guy thinks I'm capable. Maybe you know, I got to at least give it my best in honor of what he is seeing in me and what he's saying that he sees in me. And then all of a sudden, my results started to catch up with your vision, if you will. And then I started to, you know, it's almost like you have to, there's that saying, you believe, you have to believe in the belief that somebody else has in you until your belief catches up. And it was your belief in me that propelled me to greater heights. So any thoughts or tips or ideas on how do you see someone as better than they are or better than they've been in the past and or how do you bring that out of them? So I I coach, uh, I have a seven-year-old girl and actually have a little one-year-old boy, but I've been coaching my daughter and her like soccer and other sports for, you know, since she's three. Awesome. And, you know, we just had a game this last week. We're two and zero. last year we went undefeated. We we're like 10 and 0. Uh, not, 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 not just because of the way I coach for sure. You know, I, I, you know, try to cook, pick, you know, good kids, but, uh, a lot of times it's, you know, just whatever we get. And, um, it's so interesting how the same, approach I took to, you know, managing people or take to managing people is like almost the same approach to managing kids. Awesome. Right? Or supporting or mentoring or coaching, whatever you call it. And I believe so much that kids have a preconceived notion about how they are as an athlete, right? As yeah. they do about how they are at math or English or any skill set, right? And so often um, parents are uninvolved in their kids' growth to a certain degree, um, where or, or they're too involved, where they just micromanage everything, or they're not involved. They don't actually know what's going on. They don't know how well their kids are acclimating in school socially or even with their, you know, um, academics. But sports is, you know, is such a similarity to just everything else. And so, in coaching, you know, you see kids who don't think they're a good ball handler. Or mm-hmm. they don't think they're fast, or they don't think they have stamina, or you know, there's all sorts of things that hurt kids from, or they don't think they can get a ball right that's out in front of them because they think another kid's going to get it. And so, you know, one of the things I do is you know really try to give these kids confidence that they're a great athlete, and do it in a way that's real personal. And the kids, obviously, if they're not a good athlete, they can tell that they're having a hard time kicking the ball, et cetera. And so, you know, I try to really, you know, acknowledge the things that they do well. Yeah. And even just the little things that they're doing well start to gain confidence. And then they seem to try harder, right? And when I take a kid and say, you know, who doesn't think they're fast and they can't get to the ball or they always get tired, and I just tell them the opposite. I say, wow, I saw you have a lot of stamina today or... I saw how fast you ran to the ball. I, I've never seen you run like that before, right? And to a little kid, they go, really? And they start to go, maybe I am fast, right? And it's about sometimes changing their perception of themselves by just self-confidence. And so slowly, I mean, for a guy like you, it's pretty easy to say, oh, you're, you know, there's so many things that you do, right? But for some people, it's a slow burn, right? They're slow confidence builders. And yeah. so 
to do little things to get confident that they can go and make a call without getting or get make a call and still be okay after they got rejected or they can make 10 calls and get rejected 10 times in a row and still be there to make another call right and so people's confidence you know some of the kids that are the most you know like they have they're catered to they're going to their you know they're going to the right school they did really well in school they basically have never failed in their life they sometimes suck at Cutco or a, a sales job or something where they deal with rejection because they haven't dealt with rejection a lot in their life. And so sometimes the people who are a little bit misfitty or who have like had some challenges in their life are the most gritty because they've already dealt with rejection a lot and they've overcome it and handled it in a certain way. So I actually think that, you know, it's sometimes the opposite. The people that have been really good at everything in their life um, and things have come easily as soon as they get into a gritty situation that it's hard. And those people are sometimes more difficult to coach than the ones who, you know, have everything, you know, uh, not given to them and they have yeah. to kind of fight. So, you know, I guess your question is, you know, wh- what do I do to bring out like what the best in other people? Yeah. And a lot of it is me taking off my lenses, right? And l- letting that person just you know, tell me what makes them gritty, right? And yeah. using, using that, and everybody succeeded at something in their past, right? And maybe it's not in the traditional way. But for me, it was always kind of digging a little bit deeper and finding out why that person has succeeded at what something in life. And then using that motivator as maybe, uh, you know, a tool to get them to succeed here. Yeah, and I think you can kind of wrap that into vision where if you look at, you know, your first point being that you've got to have a big, exciting vision. I think that part of vision, right, is when you get it down to the micro, down to the individual person on your team is having a big, exciting vision for each person, right? And how that plays into the bigger vision. I think you touched on that earlier. Yeah, what's in it for me? It's like, listen, yeah, exactly. Yeah, people yeah, don't yeah. give a shit. You know, I hear it all the time. People like at a conferences or events or also that disrupt conference and so many times I just hear people get into a conversation and start talking about themselves, right? And, you know, in a group and, and you see people kind of, you know, kind of fade out, fade and out not, yeah, yeah. right? But yeah. it's the people that have interest in you, you know, that you want to build a relationship with. And so if you're trying to cultivate a relationship some, with somebody, if you really understand what, you know, if you take off the color lenses and try to really understand their paradigm, what's happening with them, then you know their hot buttons and you also, you know, get a chance to have them willing to listen to anything you have to say because, you know, you took the time to get to know what motivates them or what they're about. Got it, man. I love it. I love it. So vision, have a big, exciting vision for something greater than yourself. See people have that vision for other people as better than they are and align your vision with their vision. Get talented people to bind your vision. So I got vision, talent, and then standards, which is holding people to higher standards. And that's a big part of it, right? If it wasn't for you holding me, like you held me to higher standards than I would ever hold myself to. And I think that we owe that to the people that we love. You know, as parents, right? You do that for your kids. And you can hold them to, and you can hold them to standards higher than what you've done in your career. Does that make sense? I, you know, I didn't, I didn't break the record in my first 10 days like you did, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but it doesn't mean that you can't coach people up to that, right? People believe, well, I haven't done it. So how can I coach somebody that's way more successful than me, right? Or something. To, and the thing is, you don't have to have done something in order to get somebody else to do it, right? Yeah. You have yeah. to just believe in there. So you have to kind of let the limitations of yourself go sometimes and your person when you're, you know, helping somebody else go because too often you'll put your negative crap into them and then there's no possibility. Yeah, your limiting beliefs, you project them onto other people and you know, try to unconsciously limit them. 
and that's what I think every good leader says, right? Is that you surround yourself with people that are better than you. You know, almost every CEO is like, yeah, I'm a good CEO, not because I'm the good one, <laughs> but if my, but my VP is, you know, the most brilliant person I've ever met and, and the president that I just recruited and hired. And it's the team, you know, you want people that are better than you. I mean, like you recruited me. I was way better than you at almost everything. Way better. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. No, the immature leaders are the ones who are fearful of somebody being smarter or better than them, right? Yeah, that's a great point. And, and yeah. Mark Zuckerberg is the guy, you know, probably one of the best examples of hiring talent that's, you know, he's great at hiring people that are smarter than him. And he wants that, right? And uh, I think that's the, the best leaders are the ones who attract people who are clearly better than them. I mean, in your case, it's no question. It's no question. I mean, yeah, better looking. But <laughs> no, so dude, I want to talk about, so we obviously, this is a podcast. We got a bunch of faithful podcast yes. listeners and uh, you have a new app, PrimoCast, P-R-E-M-O-Cast, C-A-S-T, PrimoCast. And uh, it's a revolutionary app as far as podcasting goes. And you're really trying to disrupt the industry. You've got something called Hooks that allows this functionality for the listener and the you, the podcast listener, the podcast user to engage and interact and do so much more with a podcast than has ever been enabled before. So talk about this. What is this app? What even got you into this? Well, I love learning. Yeah. And I was the guy that would buy audio tapes. <laughs> How? I mean, I was back... I was, I was buying audio tapes at Barnes & Noble and sticking them in my cars. I, audio tapes before even CDs, right? Yeah, cassette tapes, sure. And I would, I would love to listen to something over and over again because it would become part of me, right? And yeah, I'd also yeah. to the author and I'd get to like know them, right? And, and really feel something versus just the linear experience of reading. Yeah. So I loved, I loved you know, uh, I can't tell you how many CDs and books on tape I had because it was such a great way for me to kind of really keep learning. That must be where I got that from because I'm the same way and I want to listen to it over and over and over and over. So like, you know, it's part of who you are, yeah. I remember listening to The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People literally, you know, like 30 times until that became part of my life. And so back then we didn't have streaming. Back then we didn't have iPods. Oh. Remember the iPods, <laughs> right? And when the iPods came in, then I could start downloading stuff, right? It was yeah, amazing. Yeah. And then I would take all my digital files from CDs and put them onto, you know, my iPod and, you know, and then the iPhone and it just kind of has come from there. And, you know, one of the challenges, I, I didn't really like the iTunes player. It was not very intuitive. And yeah. I wanted to put like a Instagram for podcasts, right? Or a, a Netflix for podcasts because it's, you know, it's the next learning tool, right? And, uh, but there are so many things that the podcast didn't have. It didn't have a way to take notes. It didn't have a way to, um, like easily store all your favorites. It didn't have like a playlist which you could feed in, you know, the stuff you wanted to listen to. It just wasn't a smart player. Yeah. And, uh, I wanted, you know, I wanted, you know, something that for me was going to be, you know, the, I love to listen. Right. And, but I wanted something that was also maybe more engaging. I've always dreamed of the television that you can touch when you see something, you can stop and you can buy it. Right. And if yeah, yeah. something, oh, I need those you know, I need those new shoes or my, you know, my wife to buy, you know, whatever she sees an outfit or, you know, if I want to buy, you know, diapers, oh, diaper, you know, whatever, those kind of things. Um, maybe diapers is a bad example, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> our yeah. listeners, I'm sure some of our listeners are buying diapers. I do have a one-year-old, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. you're in diaper mode still. <laughs> I'm still in diaper mode, but um, I think that's where television and, and audio is going to go in the future. And right now, you know, a very small number of um, entities own a lot of this content. Netflix now owns a lot of video content, um, you know, all these, you know, syndicates, Comcast and 
you, you look down, you know, like CBS, how many entities they own. They're all kind of, you know, to get a new brand out there um, or for like whether it's a movie um, or whether it's a talk show, they all need to go through certain channels. And so the podcast is kind of a new way for people to have their own platform, right, where they can talk and share in the world whatever they want to in the world, whether they're like into ketogenics, they can have their own podcast about ketogenics and interview people, whether in their, if they're a startup investor, they can interview, you know, companies or other startup investors and, you know, really provide an, uh, uh, a value to their audience. Yeah. And that is only growing, right? That because all these new cars instead of AM FM radio are going to be having, you know, podcast players and podcast player. Yeah. It's an, either an iOS or an Android, you know, dashboard for everything in the future. And this, you know, AMF from where you drive out of the the, the area, it's going to get crackly and you have to listen to commercials and all this is just nonsense. Right. And right now the only way that podcasters can make money from their podcast is by getting people to either go to an affiliate and they have to go, go to, you know, squarespace.com slash backslash, you know, Hal Elrod podcast, get the $50 discount, you know, and what I'm dreaming about is a podcasting platform. What I dreamed of uh, with my partner, Phil, is a podcasting platform that allows podcasters to be able to engage with the audience beyond just that linear linear experience of listening. So we're bringing the quote unquote click to audio. So instead of just listening to something, you can actually engage in that content as it's happening through what we call hooks. So as you're listening, something will pop up on the screen. The screen, if Al's talking about uh, Jesse Levine, a picture of me could pop up, right? And with your website, and they just click on the screen, and it goes to your site. Exactly, right. the LinkedIn profile or whatever. The you know, and if they're talking about something, go to the Wikipedia page. If you're talking about a video, it can go there. If you're if, if you're selling, you know, Hal Elrod Miracle Morning shirts they can click and purchase with one step. So we've basically created, you know, four ways for podcasters to be able to monetize their podcast, but without creating it, uh, without creating an experience that is uh, terrible for the user. It yeah. actually increases it's actually better. That's right. Yeah, it's actually increases the experience. So, uh, you know, a, a lot of times, you know, there's great podcasters out there that spend a lot of time creating a really great really great content, whether it's interviews or now there's these, you know, curated content that's like long form, like serial and people, companies are putting a lot of money into creating great content that people are listening to. But to monetize is a little bit difficult. So we've created these interactive platform, this interactive platform that allows tipping to occur. So, you know, I'm sure you have thousands of fans. And so right now on the podcast, we can pick tip, uh, uh, click a uh, a tip and somebody can tip you one, two, three dollars or customize. If they want to tip you $99, they can. Um, and then they can keep, keep that recurring. If somebody wants to put a recurring tip and pay you $3 a month because they love your content so much, they should be able to do that, right? With no challenge. So yeah, sure. we're similar to like a Patreon, but on steroids. I don't know. Are you familiar with what Patreon is? No. It's a giving platform where people can say, hey, if you like my content, you can go and donate money to me there. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure, sure. And so they take 5% of the total proceeds. So what we've created basically is a platform where entrepreneurs, I've always been about that person, like you succeeding. The, you know, the most exciting thing in my life, you know, is when the people around you are, are killing it, right? And yeah. especially if you've had something to do and be part of that, because then you become a lifelong friend. I know you 20 years later, Hal, because of this. And I have literally hundreds of friends that 
I can truly call friends because I played some sort of mentorship role in their life. Sure. And this is kind of an extension of that, right? Giving this, giving a platform where people can actually make money. And it, there's four ways. It's through tipping. We have a shopping platform. So you can integrate Riding with like a one-touch shopping. So you can sell your gear or you can sell uh, one-time things. You can sell, you know, uh, you know, physical products like a Peloton if you, you know, if you're yeah. Peloton, whatever. Um, and then there's also on-demand content. So you can sell your audio book, you can sell video, you could sell digital books. Let me pause for a second because you're kind of talking about two different things right now. I just want to clarify this for our listeners, right? So you're talking about kind of the user experience a little bit. Now you're talking about kind of, so if you're a podcaster, different ways that you could use the app to monetize your content. I want to dive in real quick in case someone listening, you know, if they're not a podcaster. So some of the cool things that I love about this app is bookmarking is a big one. So if you're listening to the podcast and you're like, oh my gosh, that section was huge. I need my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my husband or my wife or mom or sister or whatever. They need to hear that or I need to go back and hear that. There's one touch bookmarking where you just bookmark and you can do that multiple times. Jesse, am I right? You can do it throughout an episode as many times as you want. Saves all your bookmarks and then and then ask you each time if you want to share it. So a lot of times you'll listen to something and you go, oh, I want my wife. Oh, to that's that. cool. You just share it. So it automatically, but you can just say no. So then it just stores all of your bookmarks. And you get to name a bookmark so you can remember what it is that you're listening to. And you can even, like when I use it, I'll actually name it like, listen to this for upcoming speech or upcoming, like I'll make a note, I'll name it with a note that reminds me of how I want to go back and reference or utilize that content. Anyway, yeah, so bookmarking is really cool. And then I know like if you're listening and then you hear about like an event coming up, A, you could either click and buy tickets to the event, but or you could get, if it's like a free event, you could just click and get directions to the event, right? I mean, it's really, really interactive. Yes, exactly. I mean, there's a ton of use cases for it, right? And it's every time you go, oh, I wish I could. And then you look <laughs> up and it's there, right? That's kind of the experience that we want to have happen is that whatever you're thinking about, oh, that'd be cool to do a little more research. Oh, they already have the link, link right there, right? Yeah. Or they can purchase it or they can engage or you have an event, they can sign up right there to the event. Or add to the calendar. That was actually a really cool feature. So imagine you're listening to a podcast and they're talking about some event coming up and you're like, oh, shoot, I should add that to my calendar. You just, through the app, you click, it'll say add to calendar and you're like, oh, awesome. It's already there, right? So yeah, talk about being intuitive. Yeah, the goal is to make it the most intuitive platform, right? The user-centric. Listen, if, if we can't make a platform that people love and it's just easy to use and cues you up and it makes it really natural and exciting to go and experience new podcasts or engage in the podcast you're listening to, like, we, you know, we even have the ability to, like, create binge mode. So if somebody, let's say you have a podcast and there, there's a series of podcasts, right? They, they, they send you the new series. So that way you can go forward, right? Instead of going, typically you go from the newest to oldest, oldest, yeah. right? Yeah, sure. You go right from the oldest to newest. So it kind of allows you to do that. We have the ability to speed up or slow down because some podcasters are too, you know, talk too slow or too fast. Yeah. Slower too fast. Right. I mean, and it's really, you know, this is the podcast platform that I built for myself, right. Or that sure. we built ourselves and going, God, if we could just build something that would be like this and make it look like, you know, Instagram or have this kind of intuitive experience, put all the stuff you're normally listening to. I mean, there's a lot of things behind the scenes that you don't even see, but that really make the experience fun and intuitive. But, you know, that's our goal is to kind of be ahead of the game uh, and not only allowing the, you know, the podcasters a way to, you know, kind of monetize and engage their audience, but really we have to build a podcasting platform that the listeners love and makes it really easy to listen to. And so, I mean, that's kind of our number one mission. And, you know, the podcasters are going to want to tell their audience about this platform because of the ability to engage deeper in the content and experience that podcaster more than just that linear listening experience. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And if you're listening to this, 
the app is free, right? It's in the app store right now and it's free. Yes. Yeah. And every single podcast that's on iTunes is, is on there? our platform. Every single. So I'm inviting the Achieve Your Goals listeners to get the Primo Cast app and start listening to this. I want your feedback. Like I've been playing with it. I'm loving it. It's P R E M O Cast, Primo Cast. And again, it's free in the app store. You can go to primocast.com. Yeah, start listening to the Achieve Your Goals podcast on that. Use the bookmarks, use the notes, all the different functions, and let me know how you like it. So, how we're basic, we've launched a few months ago. Okay. Yeah. We have done zero marketing. Our whole focus is just making sure that we're capable of scaling, that when you know podcasters go and tell their audience that we have the capability to make sure the app runs smoothly, right? That the onboarding process, everything is clean and smooth. You're our first real podcaster. We've had a few smaller podcasters to go through the onboarding process, but you are our beta. And all of these, you know, your listeners are beta. And so we really would love, you know, feedback. We would love, you know, like we know we have, you know, we want to improve and any, any, any type of effort that you're willing to give to like communicate to us directly on how to make it better. We want that. And what's the best way for them to communicate? Is it go to PrimoCast and click contact? Yeah. Or they can just go to jesse at PrimoCast, P-R-E-M-O-C-A-S-T, J-E-S-S-E, and give me direct feedback. I would love it. Jesse at PrimoCast.com? Yeah. Connect with me on LinkedIn and give me, give me your feedback or what, whatever. But we're about to do, you know, our major onboarding process of getting new podcasters, and you're kind of our our first guy because we need to all the content on the back end to make them interactive. We need to engage the podcasters. So most of the podcasts out there don't have these hooks in them. Does that make sense? Sure. Yours will for this one because we're gonna you know, set that baby up. Yeah, yeah. But uh, anyways, I want to buy some stuff from Hal. You guys <laughs> test it out. Um, you know, tip him, let's see if it works, you know, and how's going to be our case study. So if you, if you fail, if this fails, how it's on me, it's a <laughs> shit, dude. I mean, we're all, basically... all the mentoring you gave me is just, it's forsaken that I would do that to you. All right, goal achievers. Let's step it up. Yeah. And we've been working on this for two years and finally it's live, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, you know, I, we really want to get an engaged audience and, you know, I'd like to see, you know, how it works with you, how, and, you know, th- th- it's only on iOS right now. Sorry, guys. So, but we will be launching a, um, an Android version, but uh, not until we, you know, and get some, some success on the platform. Sure. One thing at a time. Yeah. Cool. Jess, well, hey man, great catching up with you today. It was, it was, it was fun. You too, Hal. Yeah. Good yeah. time. And then great value for the listener. I mean, I think that, you know, the topic, I end every speech with the following quote, and it's my own quote, but it's um, the greatest gift you can give to those you lead and those you love is to live to your full potential because only then can you help them live to theirs. And I think that's the greatest responsibility that we all have is to live to our full potential. And you heard Jesse saying one of the, you know, holding himself to very high standards was that starting place and then holding other people to higher standards than they're willing to hold themselves to is a big component in bringing out the best in others. So goal achievers, thanks for tuning in. Go download the PrimoCast app. And uh, yeah, I don't know exactly how it's going to play out when Jesse gets it all set up for this episode, but I'll be listening to it with you being like, oh, cool, I can bookmark. Oh, cool. Like, oh, I can donate. I'll donate to myself. Um, I don't know if I have anything to sell, but uh, we'll find something. Anyway, but uh, Goal Achievers, I love you. Hopefully I will see you at the Best Year Ever Blueprint this December in San Diego getting geared up and geeked out for. But um, yeah, thanks for tuning in. Hopefully you enjoyed this conversation with uh, my good friend and mentor, Jesse Levine as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. And uh, I love you and I will talk to you next week. 
Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Achieve Your Goals podcast and to get access to today's show notes, transcript, and exclusive content from Hal Elrod, visit halelrod.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast.